all it is. And then the Lakers just now turn it over, so it's Phoenix ball again. Turnover on the inbounds pass. After the Lakers, uh, Devin, or excuse me, Devin Booker made the uh, basket. LeBron taking it out, throws it, and hits the backboard. That's a violation, and it goes to the Sun. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where, against our better judgment and against the recommendation of our personal therapists, we have decided to still talk about the Lakers for some reason and record this ill-advised podcast episode. If you haven't already heard, the Lakers have lost to the Los Angeles Clippers. They are now 30-34. and 34. And amidst all of that, Kyle Kuzma also went down with an ankle injury, looked pretty bad, limped off to the locker room, and... I have not seen a more lost and lifeless team than your 2018-2019 Los Angeles Lakers. You know things are bad when Snoop Dogg is so fed up with the team that he's willing to sell his Lakers suite for $5. And Ivica Zubats is taking inadvertent shots at his former team while also just very earnestly pitying us by admitting that he still watches all of the Lakers games and that it hurts him to see his dudes struggling. But such is the state of your Los Angeles Lakers where being bad and losing to any and every team in the league, no matter how tankingly bad, has become sadly habitual. And we have all become masochists. Uh, Tommy, what's been more indicative of the Lakers' season this year? The KCP inbounds pass into a double-team LeBron? LeBron James throwing the ball inbounds and then straight back out of bounds to the side of the basketball stanchion? Or LeBron James bounds passing it in warm-ups to one of the light stands used for the Lakers broadcast team, toppling it over and breaking it in hilarious fashion. Uh, definitely that last one. <laughs> and it wasn't even in-game, right? Um, <laughs> but uh, here we are. Tommy, I think we are past acceptance at this point, we right? Done. In the seven... We done, son. The, the lights are out, the... Butter's getting hard and the jello's jiggling for the Lakers' playoff hopes, unfortunately. So I, I talked about the Lakers losing being a habitual thing. And at this point, the Lakers losing to the Clippers, it doesn't surprise you anymore, right? And going back to the Suns game on Saturday, that Suns game definitely had a sort of finality to it. And I think for, for me, at least, that was the true nail in the coffin moment. I think for a lot of Lakers fans, it was. So how was it going into this Clippers game, Tommy, where it's like, we're kind of still holding on by a string, but at the end of the day, you also know the inevitable. The Lakers aren't a good basketball team and they can barely hold it together. They can barely hold together 7-0 runs at this point. So yeah, yeah how are you feeling about where we're at? I feel pretty horrible. Thanks for asking. <laughs> um, yeah, it, we're just not a cohesive team on either end of the floor. I think that Luke is, I don't know. I, there, there's a lot of people you know you could blame about how this, about how the season's gone. But I think Luke is definitely somebody that 
you can't overlook. And I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more, but I understand there's been injuries. I understand that, you know, the front office didn't construct the world's best roster, but we're losing games in such ways that it's a lack of organization on both sides. It's like they, you know, Luke was questioned for years. What is our, what is your offense? Well, we don't really believe in calling, you know, a, a ton of plays because we want guys to run and figure it out on the fly. But you have to have some sort of principles, you know, in place there. It's like I saw some stats this morning that were like one was the Lakers have the fifth worst f- fourth quarter point differential in the NBA. And the four teams that are worse than them are the four worst teams in the NBA. That kind of stuff is happening because we have nothing to fall back on, on both ends, like no fundamentals that we just stick to in all circumstances on defense. We're constantly, it looks like we're constantly lost and confused about who's guarding who. And we're constantly creating helpful mismatches for, you know, the offense. Um, and on offense, same thing. It's a lot of standing around one pass, you know, no rhythm. So, it's just been like, not only are we losing games, it's just not pleasant to watch. You know, it's not like it's the Mike D'Antoni years where we're running out here and putting up 140 points, but we just play no defense. It's just no execution on either end. And especially on offense, you know, given some of the players we have and some of the talent we have just to watch it executed the way we've seen this season. It's just been such a horrible failure on so many levels. Yeah, and I'll get back to your point right there. But before I go any further, just wanted to remind everyone to please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us on iTunes because the more you rate and review us, that's how many more ping pong balls will miraculously accumulate in that lottery ball machine when it comes time to draw those lotto balls come May. And yes, we are talking about Tankapalooza 2019. It is back and we are frankly there. But yes, first and foremost, please rate and review us on iTunes. It helps keep us going during these times where, frankly, we would rather just tune out the Lakers altogether and think about other things in our lives that make us happier. Also, patreon.com slash thelakerslegacypodcast. $1, $2, anything helps. You can find us on Spotify, Player FM, Podbean, obviously iTunes, and anywhere else you find your podcasts. Uh, so, Tommy, speaking about Luke Walton, I actually don't want to go too deep into Luke because there's a, like, we've been talking about this, like the last three episodes and we have so much time to talk about this and everything that's gone wrong for frick, man, these next three or four months. So I don't want to delve too deeply into Luke. He definitely has not justified his position as current Lakers head coach, as future Lakers head coach, as even past Lakers head coach this entire season. But for me, I think this extends beyond schematics scheme because this team looks like it's lost its soul they look lifeless they i don't know what happened but i don't think even if you had brad stevens or maybe that's not a good example right now since the celtics are struggling yeah (laughs) but but even if you had eric spolstra or pat riley or any great coach i just feel like all of these guys have lost their will to play basketball and even if they still can put up stats they're not playing for one another. They're not playing together. They can barely muster up celebrations for one another. I feel like they're just courtesy clapping for one another at this point. And it's really sad to see. 
And I think it goes be I think it transcends just better coaching, better rotations, front office moves, etc. Um, I have a quick front office rant, and I don't want to go too deeply into this as well. But you know, we harp on Luke a lot for good reason. But can I ask what this front office is doing? And and forget about the Zubats trade. Forget about Luke Walton's terrible coaching. They've known Luke's offensive schemes, or lack thereof, have been terrible all season. They've also known that the Lakers have been very much injured and very much in need of better, more stable playmakers, especially because one or both or all of Rondo, Lonzo, and LeBron have all been out for extended periods of time this season. So can you tell me how, in spite of all that, has the front office not even bothered to sign any other sort of point guard or playmaking help? How? There is no justification, really. The front office has made, I mean, countless questionable moves at this point. It's just been, the whole thing has just been really silly. I mean, we we said, you know, for the longest time, it's fine, like, if you're trying to push this point BI thing, but you should at least have another point guard on the roster. We were saying that the whole season, because Lonzo started off the season a little banged up or at least recovering from his knee surgery and his minutes were kind of limited at first. Um, Rondo obviously has been hurt most of the season. Now Lonzo, you know, went down with a grade three ankle sprain. And despite what they were saying, like everybody knew it was going to be at least two months that he'd be out. And not once you're right. I mean, not once during that time, it didn't seem like there was really much urgency at the deadline. It didn't seem really like there was that much urgency with the waiver wires and, you know, including guys who, or, you know, G League type of guys, you know, to sign to a 10-day contract or something just to give a little extra help. And I agree with you. There's only so much Luke can do. I, I think Luke's issues are a little bit different. But on the other hand, you know, the front office definitely deserves a lot of the blame. And um, there's so much they could have done differently here that they haven't. And they have a lot to a lot to do to prove that they're not completely worthless at this point. <laughs> and at this point, it's too late. And in, in much of the same way that Luke Walton hasn't done a good job of putting his players in the best positions to succeed, man, has the front office done that same thing for Luke Walton and put him in the worst possible position to succeed. The blame can be put on everyone at this point. And I think the easiest answer for me is, and, and kind of something that we speculated about as things were coming to a head with the Anthony Davis thing is, the front office just got distracted and too caught up in the Anthony Davis pursuit, this trade deadline, to seemingly give any sort of meaningful thought or attention to actually helping the current team improve. And how could they, right? Because maybe in the back of their heads, they already thought half the roster was gone anyways. And it sort of feels that way, whether that's true or not. And this is what we have left to work with, just picking up the pieces of a team with a broken spirit, essentially. And that's sad. That's sad to say because it wasn't always this way, you know? There was a period in time at the beginning of this season, especially as we were entering that Golden State Warriors game, where we were like, ah, oh, this feels like the 2007-2008 season where <laughs> Kobe Bryant was leading a young, scrappy group of, of dudes showing their potential, except this time it's LeBron with B.I., Kuz, and Lonzo. And then the injuries hit, and then the trade rumors happened, and a lot of this stuff is irreparable at this point, whether physically or just mentally and spiritually, I guess, emotionally. Hey, but I also want to talk about some silver linings with this episode. Okay, one last thing <laughs> with the front office. We still have a, a free roster spot, right? Well, we have one free roster spot and then one other roster spot that's also essentially open because Tyson Chandler is assuming that role of a walking dead zombie. 
And to me, it's just funny that the fact that the Lakers have not signed anyone up until this point, whether it's a point guard or even whether it's a big. And I think it's probably telling just how how lost the front office must view this season, right? That they haven't done anything. And at this point, maybe they should just use that roster spot on a flyer for a young potential guy or some dude from the G League. What do you think? Do I think they are going to do that? Is that do you think they asking? should at this point? They've gone so long without doing it. Is is it? Does it even make sense to sign a Gortat or a Tim Frazier? Well, no, Frazier? I don't. I don't think it makes sense to sign like a Gortat type of guy. But I think it does make sense to start using some ten days on some G League guys, whether it's your own guys like Travis Ware, especially if Kuzma's going to be down, or if it's, <sighs> um, yeah, or if it's. Uh, you know, guys on other teams that you want to give a look to, um, because at this point, and I, this is not even being dramatic, right? Like we're six games out with uh, 18 left to play. Like we're not making the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying intentionally lose games. I'm still not even going to jump on like the tank train because I just frankly don't care. I think if they go out there and play normally, like how they've been playing, they're going to lose anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, start getting looks at other guys, um, and maybe lineups that with you know involving guys that we might see next season, maybe give Bonga a few more minutes. I know that sounds a little silly, but he's looked good at, at times in the D League. So maybe give him some time. Um, and just yeah, I think it makes more way more sense to sign a, some a young guy than like a Gortat or even a Frazier. Yeah, isn't it so sad how matter of factly we're just talking about the Lakers' next moves outside of the playoffs? It's yeah, no, it's insane. It's really insane. I mean, I honestly, until, like you said, the last couple games, or even really just until tonight, there's always that glimmer of hope. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, well, they win tonight. All right, well, shoot. I guess they won. And, like, now they have a tiebreaker. And, like, <laughs> you know, you start, you keep continuing to justify. But now at, at this point, there's so many games out, and they've shown no signs of life. Um, so... Yeah, so it, it, the season's over, and I hope that – I think somebody tweeted this tonight, so I'm not going to take full credit for this thought, but I just really hope that everyone across the board, whether they're here or not next year, like the coaching staff, the front office, the players who are going to be on you know under contract for next season, just like really understand what happened – try to understand what happened here this season and, and the reason why it happened, and – make sure that doesn't happen again next year. You know, the experiment clearly failed. Let's figure out the reasons and address those reasons. Yeah, everybody's got to kind of look themselves in the mirror. It's gut check time for this entire organization and the players involved, the players who will be involved in the future. And yeah, it's depressing. But let's turn things to a lighter tone, a more positive tone, glass half full tone, even though I'm calling this episode glass half fools. Uh, let's talk about Brandon Ingram in spite of the fact that he was out tonight for quote unquote shoulder things. Um, yeah, what the hell was that? <laughs> I don't know, dude. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about silver linings, Ingram, Brandon Ingram. These stats have been thrown out there the past few days in his last 32 games. Brandon Ingram is averaging 20.2 points, 5.8 rebounds, 3.5 assists on 57.2% true shooting. He has been a revelation, as he has pretty much every latter half of every season that he's been a professional NBA player, but none more so than this recent stretch. Um, In light of the fact that he was in trade rumors and was the closest he's ever been to getting shipped out, 
Brandon Ingram took it in stride, really showed his mettle, and he has just been playing his own sort of Brandon Ingram brand of basketball. And it's been a sight for sore eyes in pretty much what's been a lost season everywhere else you look. So what are the changes you've seen in Brandon Ingram more specifically? How about that spin move into the reverse dunk against the Bucks? on uh oh friday God, that was so sick that came out of nowhere right i was like oh i didn't know he had that <laughs> i was like yeah Whoa. no it's it's just been crazy watching his handles really tighten up and really come together and the confidence he has in his jump shot i mean when he shoots a jump shot from really anywhere i just feel so good about it going in um because he's so confident with it and it's been over two months now in a row uh, consecutive, both January and February. He shot over 50% from the field for the entire months. Like that's completely insane. He's almost shooting 50% on the season and yeah, he drives a lot, but he takes more jumpers than even like a Giannis, you know? So mm-hmm. we're seeing this guy, 21 years old, put up numbers that no 21 year old is putting up. And I know, yeah, we haven't been winning a lot of these games, but these are not garbage time minutes. Like all these games have been competitive for the most part, you know? So he's, he's making an impact in meaningful games, desperation games for us. And again, I just really hope this stuff doesn't get overlooked when it comes time for what, what are the problems we have with our roster and what are we going to do to address them next season? I just hope it's not immediately. Let's turn on the young guys first because this guy is showing that he's going to be something special very soon. And he's already started it this year, but I think even next year, it's going to just be, it's going to be insane. And and I don't want to get rid of that at this point. Sure. And uh, he's also nine for 14 in his last five games from three point land, which is insane. And you're seeing that sort of upward trajectory from the free throw line as well. And I think with that comes the relentlessness to drive the ball. I think, Maybe earlier on the season, because he was struggling from the stripe, maybe he wanted to avoid that contact and having to go up there. But now you just see everything clicking. And The thing that's craziest, and I think also maybe most um, underappreciated, has been his footwork. Mm-hmm. His footwork and body control when he gets into the paint, both like when he's playing in the post, when he's playing you know, off the dribble, uh, coming around screens, his footwork has just been like phenomenal and... That's like a lot of that is, I won't say you can't teach it, but there's only so much you could teach it up to. You know what I mean? It's like not every guy can do the types of things that BI is doing right now offensively. Some of that is just God given talent. Mm-hmm. And I, I just really hope that, you know, there's, they're not underestimating that kind of ability. Yeah. I think with his um, added repertoire of twisting fadeaway J's, where he looks as controlled as ever, hoisting those shots up. Uh, I think this is the most in his bag Brandon Ingram has ever been. Where we're actually seeing stuff we haven't seen before and seeing stuff consistently, right? Where earlier on in his career, we were like, what's one thing that Brandon Ingram can do well? Or what's even Brandon Ingram's go-to move, right? And now we're seeing just him be a lethal, dynamic fadeaway jump shooter, you know, from the post, mid post, where he can hit these twisting turnaround off balance Jays fading sideways with consistency. It's crazy. Yeah. It's just like the potential's always been here, but I never thought he'd get there this fast. Yeah. And he's, he, he's definitely settled into a comfort zone where he knows he can get to his spots whenever he wants to. 
And for a guy who's only 21 years old, that's huge. The other thing I've seen is just he's shown a higher propensity to really crash the boards and use his go-go gadget arms to sky for rebounds. Yeah, his rebounds have been skyrocketing. Yeah, it's like outside the normal radius of a regular player's reach, right? Um, and yeah, like I said, just hitting the off-balance turnaround Jays with fluidity. And then the three-point shot. He shot it more freely and loosely in a good way. And uh, I think that confidence has obviously translated to the free throw line. So I guess my question for you with regards to Brandon Ingram is, obviously, as Lakers fans who watch each and every game, we've been able to see this progression come along. And at this point, the numbers are undeniable, right? It's not a nine-game sample size or 10-game sample size. It's 32 games pretty much since mid-December, since he came back from his injury. And he's shooting a great percentage, better than great. So my question is, what's taken so long for people to catch on? Or is it simply just because the non-Lakers bias going on out there or because he's a Laker? So for me, I think outside of just him being a Laker, I think it's because his game up until this point has sort of been this mucky, sort of grid and grindy, Memphis-y, mid-range focused game where it always seems like Ingram's MO is to drive it into contact or seek out the contact. And his game is not clean, fluid, or ballet-like in terms of how it looks. And also with that, because it's kind of so dirty and he always likes to go into traffic, sometimes his miscues are more pronounced than usual, if that makes sense. So even if Ingram is stringing along like 10 straight points or whatever, his next turnover could look like the cleanest strip or look like the dumbest turnover, right? It's almost Randall-like sometimes when you see him um, get his shot blocked right at the rim or get stripped when he's driving. So I think that's why if you're like a casual fan of another team or even just a casual Lakers fan, you see some of his miscues and turnovers and you're like, man, this guy doesn't know how to play basketball. But then you zoom out and, and look at his game in totality and then look at the box score and just how he influences the game on both ends and you're like, okay, wait on-off numbers included, this guy is impacting the game very tangibly. And I think the other thing is, even when he's putting up these numbers, even if you don't feel like you're getting like a a relentless sort of powerful 25-8-5 sort of game, I think it's because he does so in such a methodical manner. It's kind of boring. Nothing he does except for a few highlight plays here and there, like what you saw during the Bucks game where he had that reverse jam or that poster on Lopez. Otherwise, his game is pretty methodical and boring and nothing too explosively crazy or exciting on a nightly basis. Um, so I think that lends itself to the fact that maybe people overlook him as well or even overlook the stats. But like I said, at this point, the numbers don't lie and his impact on the game on both ends are undeniable. So in my opinion, Ingram is once again making his case as the Lakers de facto clear number two guy. And there were periods in this season where Kuzma was that guy, but now you're just seeing Ingram put it all together as a 21-year-old. Yeah, and I think, I just to add, I just wanted to say that I think another big reason, and probably, arguably, I think the biggest reason for why maybe Ingram hasn't been getting as much attention as he should have been during this really long stretch of great play is we haven't been winning games. Um, yeah. The reason that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown... Jalen Brown has been so inconsistent this year, and I'm not, like, hating on the Celtics young guys. I think they're all really good. But Jason Tatum has been up and down this year. Jalen Brown has been up and down this year. Yeah, Ingram was up and down early in the season, but he's had 32 games. But at the end of the day, the reason that those other guys are always going to end up getting more hype is the Celtics are at least winning some games. I know they're not maybe where everybody thought they were going to be. 
And, you know, there's a lot of talk on national media of whether maybe some of these guys think they're better than they are, but the reality is they're still winning games. And so that is going to give them a huge boost um, when it comes to any kind of comparison. So, you know, you see it with young guys on bad teams all the time. And Frank, frankly, we uh, are a bad team, but uh, you mean, I mean, what I'm trying to say is like, you see it with uh, young guys on bad teams, putting up big stats and not getting a ton of recognition. It's because, bad teams still need somebody to put up numbers. You know what I mean? Like you're not going to score zero points in a game. And, you know, Trey Young has been scoring like 30 points a game for like the last 10 games. And that is completely absurd for a 19-year-old rookie who, you know, two years ago, nobody knew who he was. Um, But even that I feel like is not getting as talked about because the Hawks are still one of the worst teams in the NBA. So I think that has a big thing to do with it when it comes to BI and his recognition and, Absolutely. That's a big thing that has to change. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up, actually, because, like you said, in any debate between Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma, Alonzo Ball, Tatum and Brown, unfortunately, they just have that those playoff credentials that you can't take away from them. And until the Lakers' young guys get that, they will never really be on an even playing field unless they're all averaging 25 points. You know what I mean? And I think that's the saddest part about all this, that... And, and by this, I mean, even though we've accepted our fate as a lotto team, which is so sad to say, but even though we've come to acceptance with regards to that, the thing that hurts the most about not making the playoffs, you know, LeBron aside and LeBron's legacy aside, I mean, if he's okay with taking this year off, then whatever, fine. But the thing that hurts the most is the fact that our guys are not going to get a shot at the playoffs. They're not going to be able to show their true medal and value when it seems like some of them are up to the task, most especially Brandon Ingram. And unfortunately, we're just going to have to undergo another year of even if they start, they get out of the gate hot next season, they're going to continually be doubted, continually question until they make the playoffs, until they take their playoff hits. And I feel like, unfortunately, it just sets their development back a tad bit because they can't even get through playoff growing pains, even in the event that they did end up sucking if they had made the playoffs this year, you know? So no matter how you look at it, it's just a step back in their development, not making the playoffs this year. You know what I mean? So, yep. It's sad. So with regards to that, yes, Brandon Ingram is a huge silver lining. The one thing I wanted to ask you though, is Ingram, what, what happens to Brandon Ingram after this season, this next year, Brandon Ingram is extension eligible. And then after this season in the summer of 2021, he becomes a restricted free agent. I don't know what to think of this front office anymore. But like you said, it, it would be wise for them to be more judicious about just freely banding about their, their young core guys and assets. Um, having said that, I do think it's very possible, especially with the Lakers' newfound trade chip in their 2019 first-round lottery pick and the, the rising value that that's gained and will continue to gain, unfortunately. You couple that with how well Brandon Ingram has played recently. And do you think it's possible that Brandon Ingram has played played himself so well to the point where he's played himself out of a Lakers uniform? Because I think at the trade deadline, whether it works or not, the Lakers will make one last push, and hopefully this time it'll be private, one last push to try and get Anthony Davis. I don't think that it'll be 
the same quote unquote Godfather offer, whether you believe that that offer was made or not, that was rumored to have been given at the trade deadline, where it was Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Kyle Kuzma, Josh Hart, Zubats, etc. But I think at this point, if the Lakers are able to get Anthony Davis for, say, Brandon Ingram and the 2019 first round pick, will you view that as a win as a win to start the Lakers summer off? I mean, anytime you're getting Anthony Davis, I think it's a win. Um, but I, I just don't know that I, I I just feel like even if BI continues to play well and we don't make the playoffs, and even if we get a lottery pick, you know. I mean, if we get a, not maybe a top four pick, maybe that changes things a little bit. But if we get like you know a number ten, eleven, twelve, and even if BI continues to play well on a non-playoff team, like I, I think at some level when we're dealing with the Hornets, they just don't want to deal with us mm-hmm. because you know we said it during the trade deadline, but our offer, whatever it was, I'm not going to speculate. Is the same like we could have made the same offer at either point, and if they view like waiting on the chance of getting Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown or trading him literally anywhere else was worth it, you know, then they're going to look at every other possible option to avoid trading him here before they res- uh, res- trade him here as like a last resort. So I just don't view it as super realistic, but I mean, yeah, I would view it as a win despite how well Bi has been, just because you're getting Anthony Davis. So. I think there's a little more possibility than I think we're currently giving the hypothetical credit for right now, just because I said that totally messed up. Um, but um, I, I just think that the the Pelicans have sort of cleared the way for them to, to re-engage the Lakers. They got rid of Dell Demps, and they can actually use that excuse when it comes time, when people are like, wait, what the heck? I thought you guys weren't going to deal with this team. Um, they can say stuff like, well, that was then, this is now, we have a new front office management, et cetera. Maybe they won't by then. Yeah, but they're fr- the same front office. It's the same front office though. It's like Danny Ferry just like took over, but he was still, he was part of the front office during the trade deadline talks. All right. That's fair. But I guess, okay, maybe the more, the stronger point would be things are falling apart in Boston right now as well. And it doesn't look like Kyrie Irving, it, it doesn't look like Kyrie Irving is going to stay in Boston at this point. And in that case, there's no way that Danny Ainge trades Jason Tatum. So at that point, even though you still have Jalen Brown and the four picks that you have, or actually the three picks at this point, your pick, the Sacramento pick, and the Clippers pick, which is going to be probably 19, 18, 19, 20, is that going to be better than Brandon Ingram and let's say the Lakers do get a top five pick somehow? Is that better than Ingram number five? And if, even if you throw in Josh Hart, so I think there's a little more possibility come this summer if if things shake out right with regards to the Lakers lottery odds. It'd be so crazy if that happened. I dude. know, right? Uh, well, I think it lends credence to the fact that Brandon Ingram has played so well now that he has become. I mean, maybe he hasn't to to the eyes of New Orleans Pelicans fans, but if I'm like a front office guy and those are my only options. I have to strongly think about siding with the Brandon Ingram side, regardless of Jalen Brown's playoff pedigree, because Brandon Ingram is 21 years old. You know, he he looks like a blue chip prospect. Even if he plateaus for the next two years at these same averages, you're like, what's this guy guy gonna become when he's 24 or 25? So I feel like, and this is another silver lining, 
regardless of what happens or what the Lakers do with Brandon Ingram, whether they keep him or he gets traded, and the only way he gets traded at this point, I think, is for Anthony Davis. And the fact that I think there's now a possibility that we can get Anthony Davis and somehow keep Lonzo Ball or Kyle Kuzma or both, I think is incredible and also says a lot about how much Brandon Ingram has improved just in this last stretch to end this season. We'll see what happens. Like you said, it's probably not realistic that that happens. I I just think that the Lakers are going to make at least one last push before they actually make their pick. Because once they make their pick, it's, it's depreciated value at that point, right? So... Exactly. And now that I mean, now that we're not going to be a playoff team, you know, we could start offering BI and the pick the second, you know, because the Pelicans are not going to be a playoff team either. So we can wait and see exactly where our balls land on the lotto and that same night make a a trade request with the Pelicans because we'll both be out of the playoffs. So, you know, it, I I have no doubt we'll make another effort, but, um, I'm just not optimistic that the Pelicans are going to do something like that. Yeah, we'll see. Um, but yeah, like I said, even if we stand pat, getting Brandon Ingram and then getting another trade chip in the 2019 first round lottery pick will be huge in trying to rebuild the mess that was this season. So quickly to end this show, Tommy, the Lakers lottery pick, um, that's going to be a good pick. Before tonight, the Lakers were only 2.5 games back from the Mavs for the eighth best lotto odds. And because they've rejiggered the percentages this year, can you go over just the um, how they've changed the structure of the percentages? Because now the lottery has extended from the top three picks to top four, is it now? Yeah, top four. Yeah, they, yeah, they extended to the top four. I believe like the top three teams all have about the same percentage yep. of winning. Um, and... Yeah, so they're drawing it to the top four, and the teams later in the lottery have a, a much or a higher chance just because number one, they're doing the lottery for four teams, and then number two, they shift, uh, they kind of shifted all the odds to discourage tanking. So if the Dallas Mavericks end up passing us, our chance of getting a top four pick is actually like 26% or something, yep. which is pretty crazy considering <laughs> we were like the number four seed at one point. <laughs> And, and at that position, the Lakers' number one odds would be 6% at the eighth spot. So from picks one through three, they all have the same odds to get the number one at 14%. If you're at the fourth spot, you get 12.5% at getting number one. Fifth spot, 10.5%. And then the top four, it goes top three teams all have a 52.1% chance at getting the staying in the top four. Um, if you're at number four, you have a 48% chance to stay there. Fifth pick, you have a 42%, sixth, 37.2%, seventh, 31.9%, eighth, 26.3%. Even if the Lakers stay in their general vicinity, it looks like they'll have like a 10% chance at jumping into the top four, even if they just that stay is at just this pace. so crazy to me. It is insane and it is quite sad, but have you embraced the tank, Tom? I know you haven't embraced, embraced the tank, but. Are you resigned to the tank at this point? And do you are you ready to put on your scouting draft express scouting hat again <laughs> in the event oh that we some in the event that we somehow keep our pick or don't trade it away, even though I think oh it's more than likely God. that it's used as a trade ship? Well, I think if we uh I think if we end up with a top four pick, then everyone in the league is gonna be on alert that this pick is on the move. Um mm-hmm. 
unless it we oh my god what if it ends up being like zion or you know what if zion is like gets hurt and then like people don't know if they want to pick him number one and we just pick him like number two or three <laughs> that would be so that would be so insane um but anyway i I'm not resigned to the tank. I still want us to win games because I feel like ultimately for your franchise, it's always just better to win. I don't know. I know that maybe that seems stupid, but and it is stupid. To be honest, I'm just, I'm just going on emotion, but it's like you just want the team to win games so these guys can continue to get Ws under their belt because that's always helpful moving forward. But I, I fully understand the argument of let's just... Let's just lose them and go for the picks. But frankly, if we just play young guys, which I think is what we should be doing more to close the season, just play the young guys more and we probably will lose, you know, more games than we expected. Um, And then in that case, you know, we'll end up where we want to be. Yeah, and at this point, seeing Kuzma go down, I'm almost like just bubble wrap everybody. You know, if you have to start playing LeBron James 28 minutes a night, just do so. I mean, he's already kind of, I feel like he's losing steam and energy. He's tried here and there in Spurs the last few games, but it's not taking. And so we're all kind of going in this same direction at this point, whether we like it or not, or whether we try to go against the tide or not. Um, this is our tanking fate. And at, at the <laughs> very least, I'm just glad that we have our own pick this year. You know, we can come yeah, out of this with something. <laughs> For Ennis Cantor. <laughs> That's very true, although we've talked about this before. Even if we had traded it, there's no way the front office would have left that pick unprotected. We would have Lotto protected it, right? Yeah, I really hope they would have. I don't know. Knowing <laughs> we don't them, know anymore. I'm like, oh, if we get Cantor, we're for sure going to make the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> what has this season become? What has this season made us? We are delusional masochists at this point. Um Quick question for you. So let's say Anthony Davis is off the table. Would you consider trading that top four pick, let's say it's not Zion, for a pseudo star while also still being able to keep some of your young core? And by pseudo star, not necessarily saying saying Bradley Beal, but someone, someone of that caliber. Because someone always crops up during that draft day deadline that we haven't been hearing about. So in that event, would you almost go that direction to start your summer off with a bang so you're not just going into free agency again hoping somebody signs with you after such a terrible season i honestly don't know dude because i i know it's so easy to be like yeah just traded for a bradley beal Beal caliber player because that's what you hope you're gonna get um and I think there definitely is some merit to that. So I definitely would probably lean that like 60-40, but I think it's pretty close. Like if you scout mm-hmm. a guy and he looks really like the next coming, you're like the second coming of like, you know, and he's going to be a great NBA player. Like if they look at RJ Barrett and they're like, oh my God, this guy is future James Harden. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Then I think you just have to take him and live with the consequences. You know, LeBron signed here for four years and... You ha- it's still on you to go build a team. If you have LeBron and all these talented young guys, it doesn't take, like, we should still be a playoff team. At some point, like, the goals have to be reassessed, right? Like, the first goal is to make the playoffs. <laughs> Don't It can't be just championship or be a t- 11 seed every year. 
that, you know, we're not going to develop our players. We're not going to develop uh, any continuity. We're not going to develop this winning culture. The first steps are to get into the playoffs. Could you imagine if we just had decent average role players and LeBron is like a number four or five seed in the playoffs? I would not want to be playing that team if I was <laughs> if I was the four or five seed with LeBron, you know? So they just, they got greedy and I think they just need to reassess. And I think they can have the best of both worlds if they're just patient. Yeah. I mean, the other argument to that is trading for a Bradley Beal type player gets you to the playoffs and not without necessarily having to surrender your future as well. So there's a case to be made that that's the best of both worlds too. You know, it just all depends on what their argument. It's definitely a good argument. It just all depends on what they're hearing coming free agency. You know, if they're like, Oh, I don't think anybody wants to come here. In fact, they're veering towards the Clippers. Then maybe you make a move like that. Um, All we know is what a lost season this has been. It sucks. Hindsight is 2020, but man, it looks so bad on the front office right now. We spent the D'Angelo Russell money on KCP, Rajon Rondo, Lance Stevenson, Michael Beasley, JaVale McGee. That's all we have to say for the D'Angelo Russell trade right now. And that is the saddest thing of all. But yeah, the Los Angeles Lakers, everybody, what a cautionary tale for, for future Lakers legacies to come. But hopefully... Like I said, silver linings, Brandon Ingram, we're going to get a lotto pick. We have options once again, and we're going to have to do the mental gymnastics of, uh, yeah, trying to get ourselves pumped for what's what's going to be a very long summer. So we got to start scouting go. those picks, dude. I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> Kozwicka, here we come. <laughs> no. Ed Isaacson, let's go. <laughs> Did Ed, did Ed Isaacson ever respond? <laughs> respond to your tweet? So I De- so D'Angelo? just to fill everybody in, I tweeted Ed Isaacson recently and was like, "How about D'Angelo Russell, eh?" <laughs> and he never responded to me. <laughs> nice. He'll never admit D'Angelo is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, with that said, we'll end the show here. Thank you guys for listening. As usual, follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us on iTunes and. Yeah, come and start this paradigm shift with us as we set our sights to May, Lotto D-Day, summer free agency like we have been the past couple years. And uh, yeah, hopefully, I, look, at the very least, there's one other thing that I wanted to say is I think if the Lakers had made the playoffs and let's say we had, we had even gotten out of the first round or made a competitive first round or made it a competitive first round against the Golden State Warriors, I think that might have swept under the rug some of the issues that have been plaguing um, this organization. But I think with such a humiliating, embarrassing season such as this, where they can't even make the playoffs, I think it'll force, kind of like what we said earlier, force everybody, Rob Palenka, Magic Johnson, to look themselves in the mirror. But not only do that, but really dig deep and question what they're doing and whether they're fit for the job. You know, I, I, don't, not, I don't think they're going to concede their job, but I think it's really going to change fundamentally the way that they've been running things. You know, may, where maybe they came into this job thinking they had, they thought they thought they knew what they were doing or they thought they had this going one way, but now we just got to do like a complete 180 shift with regards to the culture, right? Where they're, even they were fooling themselves. And uh, I think it's, it's time for that to happen, even though it's only been, what, a, a year and a half? So... That's another good thing that can come out of this. Uh, Yeah, with that said, we'll catch you guys next time. 
Tommy, catch you later. Later. Peace. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents, which means you're going to start telling your kids to clean up before the cleaning lady comes. Doesn't make sense, but you're the parent and they're the kids. You're going to start telling them that now, too. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. And there's your opening to remind them who pays the bills around here. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.